KYW News Radio Original Podcasts. Remember the threat of that major railroad strike back in September? I thank the unions and the rail companies for negotiating in good faith. They went up for 20 straight hours to that negotiation and, uh, and for sticking with it, especially over the last few days. Now, there was no service stoppage then, but surprise, that doesn't mean there won't be one in the future. Because guess what? At least one union has said no to the tentative agreement that came out of those negotiations. And right now, it's very unclear whether this will all be resolved by next month's deadline. I think the question in a lot of this contract was around what you would do for illness, any leave, any set schedules. And there were a lot of problems with the way the current point system was set up. Dr. Laura Bucci is an assistant professor of political science at St. Joseph's University. These workers, I think they fully recognize that they have a lot of power and a lot of leverage here, that we do genuinely really need them in their jobs. I'm Matt Leon, and today on KYW News Radio In Depth, what are the chances a railroad strike actually happens this time and what it could mean for the rest of us? Kind of set the table here. This labor dispute, we are talking about multiple unions, multiple companies. Like this is very wide ranging and kind of touches a lot of things railroad. Right. So we've got about 115,000 workers across 12 unions. They're in sort of a negotiation right now. So in mid-September, there was a kind of proposed contract that was negotiated and then brought back to workers in these unions to vote on. And so that happened. The first four vote, um, unions to vote voted yes. Now the fifth has voted no. The remaining seven haven't voted yet. So we'll see kind of where the rest of the unions sort of fall down on this. The original deal was good, but it didn't incorporate a lot of the things that that workers had kind of wanted in the first place. And so which is why some of the unions said yes, but other ones said no. And so it's kind of in flux. So they'll go back to the the table and sort of rebargain. And just for maybe people that just kind of hear the headlines, the deal you're talking about, the tentative agreement, was the one where the White House got involved. And it sounds like President Biden personally got involved to try to clean this up and that they and I get it. You know, they they, they kind of took a victory lap that they had negotiated this. We are talking this is kind of this is the extension of this same labor strife here that you heard about so much in September. Same negotiation. Um, so in mid-September, the Biden administration really sort of claimed credit for settling it. Because at that point, we were dealing with railroad transport of mostly harvest products. Um, and so were there to be a strike then, we'd run into the issue of both like a massive supply chain issue, but also a, a, a problem of food rotting. And Biden's in a difficult position because on the one hand, he wants to sort of brand himself as as a a really pro-labor president. And on the other, he's got to kind of settle this negotiation kind of amicably. The kind of bargain that was reached, the compromise has to get brought from the people doing the negotiation to individual uh, workers to vote on. And so it becomes, they think that the voters are going to say yes, which is why they kind of settled on that version. But ultimately, members are the key to their union, right? So members are able to vote yes or no, depending on what they they 
see in the contract and what they like or don't like. It's all the same potential stoppage. In the tentative deal that the White House helped broker, financially, I think there were significant head-turning gains for the unions. You know, we're talking like an immediate, if I'm reading it correctly, an immediate like 14% raise, more raises during the life of the contract, which it sounds like would be five years or so, cash bonuses. It would be significant for a lot of people. This went beyond money. This was about kind of leave and being able to kind of have a relatively normal schedule. Am I correct? Yeah. And it's it's in some ways about the relationship you have in the workplace, right? That this is kind of a how much power individual workers have in terms of like being able to live a normal life outside of work, right? So part of working is is pay, obviously, and, and being paid more would be better. But I think the question in a lot of this contract was around what you would do for illness what you would do for any any leave, any set schedules. Um, and there were a lot of problems with the way the current point system was set up, right? So you could, you could add additional points on if you worked kind of extra hours or you you worked weekends or you you kind of hit different sort of goals that that folks would have. Um, but a lot of those could be wiped out pretty rapidly and lead to all sorts of consequences for for workers. Like if they didn't answer their on-call time on time, right? So you get one phone call, you don't, you miss the call. And then all of a sudden your points get deducted out or there's an illness in your family, right? People are still getting sick. And so this was a worry during sort of increasing like illness seasons, right? That we want the ability to stay home if family members are sick or need to go to the hospital or have children or whatever, to have a little bit more flexibility in how easily you can call out of work and what are the consequences when that happens. Um, and that really wasn't addressed in a significant way in the, the most recent iteration. And so I think that's why a lot of the unions that were still voting had this kind of hesitation, right? Even though, even though pay over the long haul is a great thing, it doesn't really change that relationship you have it doesn't matter how much a job pays if you if you lose it, right? So it becomes this this relationship to to how you are dealing with work. We saw this a lot during the pandemic, you know, with the term essential workers, and these most definitely fall under this category. And these are people that we love to champion in our political commercials, and we love to put signs in the front yard. Thank you, essential workers. But then suddenly, when it comes time to, well, we're really important and we should get paid, then all of a sudden we kind of like to pull up and go, well, let's not get carried away there. And it's interesting that this has been kind of lingering. And these folks, this rail service, this is kind of critical, even if you don't realize you're dependent on the railroad service, if it goes away, you will realize real quick how dependent you are on the railroad service. And when I say you, I mean all of us. I mean, if you like eating, um, <laughs> right, this is a <laughs> this is a way that most food gets to grocery stores, right? So so if that goes away, then a lot of that is any of the freight shipping, right? So like anything brought across the country by train, right? So any goods you might want might be shipped via train. I mean, people are one thing, but but um, products are are far more are easy to ship. 
And so things will start to kind of hollow out really quickly because we've over time kind of built a system that has relatively little slack in it. So this is going to happen faster than you otherwise would want it to. We saw this with all of the supply chain problems earlier in the year, right? That because there isn't a lot of give in systems, right? One wrong thing can lead to 40 more wrong things. And then all of a sudden everything is backed up because there's just not a lot of surplus. And that doesn't mean that that was like a management decision long ago, but it will kind of come back to to haunt us really quickly. And I think on essential workers, right, we end up in this kind of situation where it's it's really easy to thank someone for doing their job, but it's it's harder to kind of understand what that job entails and also understand like there's parts of all of our jobs that are not great, right? That, that we love our jobs, but we don't necessarily like all of it. And also to recognize that like they can be better, like our jobs could be not quite so horrible and not quite so hard and that there's a there's a value in kind of asking for that or or saying that like if you want me to do this job that is hard and you've all said we need it done then there should be some reward to doing that um there should be kind of a a safety or cushion or a little bit of ease or I should be able to like not have to do it 24 hours a day right like I should get to go home and like enjoy having done my job and like go to bed or whatever your, you know, whatever your option is. And that should be enough to kind of support and sustain your life. When you're dealing with multiple unions, let's say four of them voted down and that includes some of the biggest ones, but eight ratify. Will we see this hodgepodge of people go back to work or would you expect everybody, if one goes, they all go in solidarity? If one's out, they're all out. Even if they voted kind of yes, right? So this is like a, it's usually if one were to strike, they would all strike kind of together because it's its less powerful if just one group mm-hmm. does it. So they'll, they'll all go together. It also doesn't necessarily mean that the new version of the agreement, even though the other unions already said yes, that that new version wouldn't necessarily apply to them, right? So this is a, a, a kind of, we were satisfied here, but we would also be satisfied with other things too. And so they, they'll revote potentially. Reading some of the articles about this, it seems like there's a not insignificant group that the relationship with their the various companies is pretty toxic. And they look at this as a way to literally and figuratively give the finger to these companies that they feel have overworked them and underappreciated them. Is there a sense here that there might be a chance that something's going to happen regardless, just because there is a group that just wants to stick it to management, even if just for a short time? I think like we'd call that like labor militancy, right? Like there's, there's like an element of this to, of people who are, are, um, I mean, the pandemic's been long and it's been hard Mm -hmm. and I, I can sort of understand that over time, you're like, what has happened here, right? That this has been this really overwhelming process. And you're like, I'm just mad. And like, but I think most workers really take their responsibility to each other very seriously and are interested in kind of figuring out a way to make this process moving forward work. I think there's some people that are always going to be unsatisfied with the final results, right? That it's it's still, I mean, ultimately, owners of companies have way more power than any individual worker does. That gap is going to be upsetting to a lot of people. 
But I do think that that number is is fairly small. And with a good contract, you would you would see kind of the ability to move forward here. I don't think that anything's going to happen, like regardless of what the outcome is. Usually what happens is, at least recently, is that a lot of management has been coming back with contracts that are not really negotiated in good faith. They're supposed to be negotiated in good faith. And then you're kind of forced to kind of escalate things. We need to take a break. We will have more with Dr. Laura Bucci of St. Joseph's University right after this. This is KYW News Radio in depth. A Philadelphia dentist today was sentenced to 22 years in prison and fined $100,000. This was just unbelievable. You got to understand the genius in Larry. Nobody was doing coke at this point. No one could believe that this highly educated, young, handsome man was this kingpin drug dealer. This is Wolves Among Us, the Larry Lavin story. A documentary podcast from C13 Originals, a Cadence 13 studio. Listen now on the Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. And we are back on KYW News Radio In-Depth, continuing our conversation with Dr. Laura Bucci of St. Joseph's University. I really feel like we are seeing unions get power like we haven't seen in decades. I think this is the most pro-labor landscape that we have seen in my lifetime. Do you think there is any of that in maybe some of these decisions to hold out for more? Union support's always been fairly high if you look at public opinion measurements, like higher than you'd suspect it would be. And so I think there's this this moment where a lot of kind of public in the ether of U.S. politics, people are starting to realize that, right, that there is kind of good things happen sort of when you work together. And I think unions have been really um, conscious in sort of fostering this attitude about sort of democratic engagement, like in the workplace, but also broader in the public sphere. And I think that kind of message is hitting in a different way in sort of a world where we're not really super sure about the health of American democracy and the economy is really rough and the grocery store bills are really high and your life is really complicated and you're working all the time, but it's not really getting you anything, right? Like you're like, I'm working all the time. I can't afford a house. I can't afford this. I can't afford gas. I can't afford groceries. And so you're like, what am I doing this for? And I think the pandemic really escalated that for a lot of people. You're like, I'm going to go to work and die, I guess. Like, I don't know what's going to happen. And that sounds really blunt, but I think that was like the calculus for a lot of people. You're like, I make whatever, $7.25 an hour. What am I doing? (laughs) Right. And so you were like, we have to figure out a way to make this system work better. And this is sort of a pathway to make that happen, right? To, To increase pay or to at least say like, look, Like, I need to have protective gear if you want me to work in public spaces, or I need to um, be able to take time off if I'm sick, right? So it's like, you know, you want me to get sick, but then you just want me to get better. I don't, that's not how sickness works. So we, there's a kind of pushback in terms of figuring out how to make this a possibility with these workers. I think they fully recognize that they have a lot of power and a lot of leverage here that we do genuinely really need them in their jobs. And I don't think that's like meant for them to be like, well, let's get whatever we can get. But I also think that like, 
they're not doing this out of the goodness of our their hearts. None of us are doing our jobs out of the goodness of our hearts, right? We're we're doing it to get paid as well. And we shouldn't expect them to just like, we well, we need to eat at the grocery store, so they should work for whatever we want them to, right? That's not really a fair ask either. So this is ongoing. There wouldn't be any action until November 19th. You're talking right into Christmas. And this is the type of thing that nobody cares about until they care about it, until they can't figure out why the things they ordered for Christmas have been stuck in a warehouse in Secaucus for three weeks. Like there's a, a connection there that this could be felt right away because of the time of the year. You will start to see it fairly quickly, but you might not notice because back stock has to go, right? So it, it's going to happen fairly fast, but it's still going to vary depending on what the good is you're consuming. I, a strike like this, I don't imagine as being particularly long. That's like, I don't know that necessarily one's going to happen. I would doubt that one would. I think they're going to settle this, but I don't, I don't know necessarily because I don't know what they're willing to bargain on. I don't know what the the goals necessarily are, but you will notice it, right? And so it's a question of how that gets used rhetorically, what the narrative has been. But the narrative so far has been fairly clear that this is not just like, like folks thought of it day one and they were like, I'm going to, I'm done here. And then like, they just walked off their job, um, right? That this has been a pretty thoughtful and fairly well-reasoned kind of reason to think about a contract differently. I would imagine in a lot of people's eyes from a union standpoint, it would shine the light on just how essential we are in the scope of things here. And guess what? We're not here for a week and stuff goes sideways that quick. You know, maybe I deserve every third weekend off or whatever. It Like, it would be real quick. What would happen if your kids' schools shut down, right? That was a nightmare when people had that happen, right? And you're like, but we don't have anyone to teach them because everyone is sick, um, right? And so it's like this, you know, it's this long period of like, yeah, we need people in these jobs, but if they're not here, we're in big trouble, right? Like if no one picks up the trash, we're in big trouble. And we've set up a system that doesn't really reward how essential these occupations are and kind of just sort of is using a model that like, burns through workers, right? That like we have mass exoduses of nurses, of teachers, um, right? All of these essential occupations, which tend to be paid not as well as maybe they ought to be, but they have some decent workplace protections. But as those kind of get hollowed out and you have to work more and more and more, and the feeling is that like you're holding up all of the economy, Right. Then people are like, I'm going to just do something else. Right. Like I trained to do this. I would prefer to do this. But like, you know, it's going to kill me. So I'm not gonna like I, I don't mean that like it could be literal, but it could also just be like it's going to wear you down to the point where it's not feasible for you to do that job. You're like, I could do any number of things and maybe make less money, but I wouldn't be so stressed out. And I think for railroad workers, I don't think that that same kind of pressure is there in the way it is for nurses or the way it is for teachers. But I think the logic is still similar. Do you think this goes down to the wire? Like, do you think you and I could be texting on November 18th and it's still, eh, I don't know. We'll see. I, I would you, guess it goes right up to the end. And do you think it'd be after the midterms? Do you think there will still be as much fire that the White House that they don't have to worry in the 
near term about an election. And I don't mean to in- infer that there's bad faith here, but I think is the fire is hot on the White House to to push for this after the midterms as it was in September when it could have been a front and center voting issue. Yeah, I do think that genuinely that the Biden administration has done a lot compared to other even Democratic administrations in terms of prioritizing sort of labor's goals. But I do think that this is like a key sort of constituency for him, right? That he wants to be seen as being supportive and so is going to work really hard to sort of maintain that legacy. I don't know what's going to happen at the midterms. My guess, again, a a kind of like a predictive guess, is that we would expect, and I think most people are predicting, that Republicans are going to do fairly well. I don't know about in Pennsylvania, right? Pennsylvania is its own separate kind of can of worms. And I think that we've got kind of special races here. But I, I do wonder if it becomes even more urgent because if the House is going to flip in January when everyone is brought in, right? They won their race in November. They they go sit later. That to me would be like, we got to do this now because we need a win now because everything's about to be kind of in flux or up in the air. Like the Democrats aren't necessarily going to control things with the same margins that they currently do. And But we'll see. I mean, I think like predicting this sort of stuff, I would say maybe six years ago, <laughs> I was a lot more certain in kind of the fundamentals of like midterm elections than I am right now. And so even kind of saying what things we think would matter, right, that the economy is kind of in a little bit of a slump, a Biden's approval is fairly low. That to me would indicate a big Republican surge at midterm. But the individual candidates that are running are also, they're uniquely positioned in a way that's like, different than it was maybe 10 years ago. Um, And so I don't know if necessarily those fundamentals are going to hold in the exact same way as they once did. That's it for this episode of KYW News Radio In-Depth. You can listen to the podcast free anytime on the Odyssey app, and you can find it wherever you listen to your favorite shows. I'm Matt Leon, and we'll have another episode out soon.